0: Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the India Independent Films Podcast, where we talk about films in general on a range of subjects with a focus on film writing. Uh, I'm Pankaj Sasteva. I write on my blog, Dichotomy of Irony, and also contribute articles for IF. I uh, have with me, Rahul Desai. A writer and film critic who also hosts another podcast on IF with other film critics. Uh, we've had a few podcasts before, and it's in the last month we spoke about editing, cinematography, and a little bit about the Oscars. Uh, today we'll focus on some different topics with a focus on a little bit on screenplay, and then on you know supporting actors and third wheels. So, Rahul, how have you been?
1: <laughs> I've been good very eventful month as usual You know, film these days a film critic's life is more eventful than most other journalists uh but um yeah I'm, I'm actually I was just listening to our uh, editing podcast the other day it, it turned out surprisingly well because I had a feeling I wouldn't uh be able to contribute a lot about the more technical aspects of filmmaking given that uh, they are difficult things to put in words or describe right most of the time but you know huge credit uh Uh, for the um, for the kind of questions you asked as well because I just realized that I think we I I kept speaking and I didn't realize that I might have repeated myself a couple of times so I'll try to avoid that now I also have to say that screenplay is my favorite thing to talk about so I'm looking forward to today
0: right right yeah I also listened to a last one I was a little like not sure again you know as I was saying like uh, because it's a very technical field but I think it went it went okay I felt yeah. good about it and yeah. then uh, I got feedback from I think Suchin he uh. Uh, emailed me uh, that you know he liked it and then he asked us to host another podcast for one of the topics yeah. that he's requested but okay. I thought okay I will talk about it e- even today I'll try to pitch in if I have time at the end of it sure. on what yeah. the question he asked okay so how first I'll ask the very uh uh, very personal question. Will you ever hmm. write a screenplay? Uh,
1: difficult <laughs> question. It's not actually personal because uh, I started off, uh, yeah. you know, like 10 or 12 ag- uh, years ago wanting to get into writing and my first choice was screenplay writing because I had done a filmmaking course. So I thought I was, you know, I thought my mind weird more towards writing. I didn't want to get into directing because I'm not good with people in general. Um, so I thought writing is perfect for someone like me and I did write a couple of uh, screenplays on Specco just for myself to practice writing. I had a lot of time back then because uh, there were less lesser opportunities back then. You could e- either mostly assist people. Or, or just wait for some freelance uh, opportunities to turn up. Uh, mm-hmm. So I used to do a lot of writing on my side. I did it with a lot of classmates from my filmmaking course as well. They wanted to direct in the future. So I was like, okay, let me, uh, in the meantime, since we're doing nothing, let me just write a couple of screenplays. And I, I think some of the most uh, enjoyable kind of writing I did back then was that, like just coming to terms with the fact that you might have an imagination, you might, uh, uh, you might have a voice. Uh, uh, screenplay, the the screenplay writing that I did for a couple of years taught me a lot about about the way I want to write in the future. Um, uh, uh, and you know, of course, in 2009 and 10, the industry was very different. There was no streaming, no OTT. Uh, it was still a very old school sort of almost archaic uh, 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 arrangement. So again, back then, like writing a screenplay did not mean anything. It was just for yourself most of the time. But That is how I originally started. I went the reverse. Like most, a lot of film journalists go the other way, right? Like they start film criticism and they get into writing or into film production or direction. Uh, I I started out wanting to do that. uh, But somewhere along the way, uh, you know, as I've often said, I fell in love with film criticism and writing about films. Um, But I did not, like, I stopped thinking about writing screenplays because uh, the, the, the bunch of them that I wrote back then... Uh, have sort of been in cold storage in my head for the longest time. Uh, But I do know that uh, I just, I do want to tell some kind of stories. It may not be as a screenplay anymore, maybe as a book in the future, because uh, I think I've gone in that direction. Uh, And, you know, I'm not a big fan of the film industry in general. Like, I don't like how things work. uh, And I'm not very good with people either. So I um, I think that was originally my first love before uh, this took over and I must say that you know I was very uh, I was very invested technically in the craft of writing screenplay so I do know uh, that's why when I write most of my reviews these days a lot of my uh, writing is about the screenplay, about the way a story is told rather than the other technical aspects because for me the other technical aspects are part and parcel because first the writer comes then everyone else comes. So that is the first thing I notice about any film, what the writer or the director is trying to say, how she or uh, he or she is trying to uh, to say it, and whether it is comes from a personal place, whether it is honest, whether it has a sense of integrity or authenticity. So I, I sort of really uh, am very invested in the writing of most films. I guess that comes from my previous background as uh, as a you know uh, sort of unofficial screenplay writer as well.
0: Right. I actually saw one of your short films.
1: <laughs> you no, made it. No.
0: Uh, I think I, I you put it on Twitter long very long ago. But I think I found it, and then I was like,
1: we don't popularize it much. Yeah, no, it's best best you don't mention all that. (laughs) That is, uh, that is again the phase where we were just still experimenting quite a bit. Uh, But yeah, we did make a couple of short films. I had a couple of collaborators. We, I used to work for, I used to write or act for them. They used to um, shoot for me. So it it was a nice little community back in pre twitter twitter like when right. it was still twitter was still very yeah. nice and uh, civilized uh, we made a lot of friends and and very good working relationships that we had uh, a lot of them are still friends of mine so yeah that was it was very interesting to experiment back then especially because it was on the brink of the film industry becoming something bigger right like we didn't know what was to come the streaming was supposed to explode and stuff so yeah i mean that was a good nice fertile phase uh, I wouldn't say I ever wasted that time in my life. Mm-hmm. I was just randomly writing screenplays and getting excited about ideas nobody would hear, because uh, because it all added up and helped me become the writer I was, at least right now.
0: You know, you mentioned that you did some screenplay classes. So, what exactly do they teach there, and how did it help you?
1: So, uh, so the funny part is that in the filmmaking course that we did, which was in XIC, it was a TV and video production course, at least back in 2008, the course was in transition, like it was going from one management to the other. So, uh, so we did not exactly have a screenplay writing section, like we had a direction section that was the main uh, focus was on directing and assistant directing so that it prepares you for uh, any kind of career you want ahead in the industry but it did not have something like our writing professor changed at least thrice throughout, uh, uh, throughout the entire one year course and uh, because of that we were never formally taught screenplay writing we did have a couple of uh, people from within the industry come and show us films that they thought had good screenplay writing I remember very vividly that they kept showing us castaway uh, at the Tom Hanks film uh, mm. and said that this is uh, one of the most perfect uh, films ever written. So whenever you write a screenplay, think of how this was structured and how the sort of three acts took place and, and you know, a lot of technicalities. But uh, but that that's about it. They didn't really formally teach us how to write a screenplay. That we had to figure out later on our own after graduating mm-hmm. and after trying to figure out if we wanted to write films. I learned on my own uh, entirely. I had the software. Uh, the screenplay writing software so I used to like look at a lot of screenplays and uh, figure out how to write scenes and how to transition from one scene to another uh, for me you know I was a stickler for grammar even back then so I used to misinterpret uh, you know bad language as bad screenplays which I was wrong about because a lot of people just write in uh, a bunch of languages today and as, as long as they can communicate with the director it makes sense So uh, so yeah I wish we were uh, taught, taught, but I don't think there was a module. I am I am guessing there are modules in the FTII course, there are modules in uh, other more uh, sort of uh, extensive courses of, uh, of filmmaking in this country. But we didn't have it and I guess that's why it piqued my interest as well because that was the one thing we weren't taught and we were in fact taught editing as well. So I was a pretty good editor back then uh, mm-hmm. too and I used to edit a lot of videos and a lot of films. So um, so, yeah, that, I guess that's what got me interested, this whole thing of discovering a new world. And I used to also write a lot of short stories on my blog to just exercise mm-hmm. my sort of craft as well. Uh, and I think all of it sort of added up into, you know, uh, making me a very unorthodox sort of, uh, uh, you know, a reviewer as well.
0: Got it. So how how can, as a film goer, you know, can we... Whether a screenplay you mentioned, right? It's authentic uh, to mm-hmm. this narrative. So, how can we uh, judge whether a screenplay is well written or you know it, it's in good written? Uh, how do you judge that?
1: I mean, when a screenplay, like most other aspects in filmmaking, when a screenplay is well written, it just flows. You don't really notice it, right? It's not trying to get your attention. It is just happening. Um, I think authenticity can be overrated. When I say authenticity, it doesn't mean that it needs to be the language needs to be correct, the dialect needs to be correct, or the production design has to be in you know 1926 how vessels used to be then. I don't mean that. Like you know, I I'm not a big fan of authenticity myself. I don't. I when I say authenticity, it needs to be uh, synonymous with or sort of. Um, uh, synonymous with the director's and the writer's voice. Like it needs to come from a place of integrity uh, where the filmmaker is not trying to uh, tell a story that he or she is not familiar with or that, or is trying to tell a story for entirely commercial reasons. So uh, when I say authenticity, it needs to come from a place of curiosity because see, a lot of filmmaking is not just filmmakers' uh, trying to basically tell us about a world we don't know about uh, or that we are not familiar with. It is also them trying to navigate that world as well. And that curiosity for me is a big, like I use the term curiosity a lot when I write reviews, I remember because uh, because for me when it's like investigative journalism, it's like journalism. When you are trying to discover a story, it needs to appear to the viewers as well that uh, you are not in control complete control of what you are trying to say you are uh, also trying to figure out things while you are uh, making the film while you are writing the film and that th- there should be questions in your screenplay there should be more questions than answers because if there are answers then that means you are you are almost uh, talking you are almost enforcing your opinion on the viewer and you are talking about things you may not entirely know about and there is no single aspect in this world in this in the way we live that uh, that a filmmaker or an artist completely knows about. Everyone has their own version of events. Everyone has their own understanding of how the world works around us. So so when I like screenplays that uh, that do not uh, basically tell us that they know everything, like they, they do not tell us that uh, this is how the world operates and this is the right way. And uh, if if you need to learn from the screenplay, and this is a message from from the screenplay, it needs to uh, it needs to also act uncertain at the same point. Because certainty is not always a good thing in screenplays. It means uh, it, it can border on arrogance at times. And I don't like those kind of screenplays. That's why I'm not a big fan of very obvious social message dramas or environmental dramas and all. Because, you know, they are talking down on the viewer most of the time. And they are telling us what to think. Uh, I like screenplays that leave it ambiguous. I like uh, uh, the writing that asks you questions and ask themselves questions too. Uh, I, I like filmmakers who are vulnerable and say, you know, I didn't know anything about it when I was making a film, uh, making the film, but I discovered a lot while making it and researching about it. And that shows up in a lot of kind of uh, movies you watch. And like, I got that feeling from Gully Boy when I watched it. I know it's a very mainstream film. It's one of the, it's one of those commercial Bollywood films that we don't talk about enough in terms of craft, in terms of screenplay. But you got a sense that Zoe Akhtar and a writer uh, were coming from a world they were not familiar with and they were trying to uh, tell a story and as, uh, teach themselves a lot about that world too. Like, they were never presenting the world that this is how it is in Dharavi, this is how it is in a particular community, and this is how goals and dreams and aspirations look like. There were a lot of questions in the film. The filmmaker was not entirely certain throughout the film, and I like that about Gulliboy. It was honest in, in the sense of it came from a place of curiosity and learning. It came from a place where you knew that the filmmaker is privileged. You know that the filmmaker came from the film industry and she was willing to learn about a world that she is absolutely unfamiliar with. She's probably only seen it like we do on the outside. And I love the fact that even the mistakes in Gully Boy did not feel dishonest. They came from a place of stumbling while trying to discover a world. They came from the characterization, one or two problems I had uh, with the film was not a craft problem or was not an integrity problem. It was just a filmmaker, uh, uh, you know, not... um, probably doing justice to what she learned at that point of time and and I like that because it feels like a student is approaching a craft, a student is approaching a world. So for me, that is good writing, that is good screenplay writing, uh, which I've always felt.
0: Got it. talk about Galiba, you know, I was thinking of that scene where um, a bunch of journalists go and click photographs in Murad's house. <laughs> So that reminds me of you know how maybe she is also trying to yes. bring that uh, exactly in in her film. So that's a, a great point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you know uh, what also happens is you know like we talk about uh, when we talk about films, we say, did the filmmaker uh, did the film deliver as to what it promised? Uh, that's how we sort of judge films. But so how do we go about? Judging what the film promised—is it by the trailer and the promotions, uh, or do you do, do you not like to watch trailers, or do we just go by whether the story was marketed as you know a love story, but it turned out to be a thriller? So yeah. how do we figure that out? What was the film trying to do?
1: That that's a great question because you know I feel like when we use the phrase uh what the film has promised i think it's a marketing phrase honestly like it has nothing to do with the craft with filmmaking itself uh it's it's a very lazy yardstick of making people judge a film or to see so only people who are not entirely sure about what they made will use excuses like that like okay we promised a brainless film so please look at it as a brainless film i don't think it ever that should ever exist you should not uh, tell a viewer what to expect or what not to expect and say, then tell the viewer, please judge them on those parameters mm-hmm. only. I don't think that's the right way to go about things. I personally don't like watching trailers. I can't avoid them most of the time, but I prefer not to watch trailers so that when I go into a film, I don't know, first of all, what was promised and I don't mm-hmm. know what the film is supposed to be. Right. So the film unfurls mm-hmm. in its own language with me. So, so it gives me the power to judge or the, the power to basically, uh, uh, you know, expect something from a film without any preconceived notions. And it gives me the ability to make my own, derive my own conclusions and derive my own sort of set of uh, questions and answers from the film. So, for me, it's a tonal thing, right, most of the time. Like, if, it, if there's a certain tone of a film... That you see that that can be categorized as masala, or can be categorized as you know serious or social or whatever they use, or a horror film for that matter. Um, I I don't go by those genres or by those tones most of the time, and I guess that's what people mean when they say that okay, it promises this, so, uh, so if the tone of the film is like this, so please look at it in that tone. For me, it just I sometimes love films that jump genres within you know within itself and doesn't promise any single thing. Uh, I, I, and you know because life is like that you know to, right now I'm talking to you and tomorrow uh, or like one hour later I'm going down and the, you know there's a tragedy downstairs so it can go from joy to sadness in one second why can't films do the same thing uh, and you should not pigeonhole any narrative any screenplay like that as well so uh, so I like going blind into uh, films so that then I can uh, come to my own conclusions about there being no primary sort of overlooker about a film there, there being no primary uh, narrative and then you know I can sort of really get into a film and look at a film for what it is basically it's just trying to tell a story whether it's funny, whether it's serious it, that that is secondary to me uh, whether it makes sense to me and whether uh, the, the film is uh, making you either enjoy the film or engage with the film or or be larger than life or be smaller than life That comes later. That should happen while you're watching the film. So all these phrases that we talk about are really like marketing strategies and things that yardsticks that are supposed to sort of help in the promotions of a film. I've never really gone by that. And, uh, you know, uh, most of the films that I go into these days are I go into them without any prior knowledge about the trailer or, uh, or whether what genre it is. And that has helped me also because... Uh, I'm discovering the film as I'm watching it, which is a good thing. You don't go in with preconceived notions.
0: So you know this Gehraya uh, recently, how uh, in the last uh, hour or so, it just turned into some sort of like this murder thriller mystery and how a lot of people were just caught unaware by it. But I didn't feel it while watching it. because you know there were signs all there like even in a the trailer there was some aspect of it like you know something mm. drastic is going to happen were you uh, how was your reaction to get I know you loved it but did yeah. it take you by surprise that whole thing that when it turned mm. yeah. uh, into this murder
1: thing um to be honest honest it didn't take me by surprise like I I mean, sure, that entire stupid phrasing marketing of the film as domestic noir was a mistake to begin with. But I never really paid attention to that. Because for me, it was really what you want to take out of the film. Like, for me, from the beginning, of course, it was a, you know, it was a sort of messy relationship drama, urban, uh, this and that. And it didn't come out of the blue for me. Because it was like there were characters sort of painted into a corner. There was desperation. There was... Uh, there was a lot of edginess like leading up to that. I, and for me eventually the story, the primary thread of the story was generational trauma. That's the only thing I took back from it. Uh, you know the death that happened on the way, uh, you know the, the the murder that she that you know the protagonist wanted to get away with or the murder, so to say that she wanted to get away with all those were devices that were trying to make a larger point so, so it didn't really matter to me. I, I I get that a lot of people were taken uh, unaware because, you know, it was tonally jarring after being, you know, such a sort of regular toxic relationship drama. And then why did they have to kill off a character? And killing off a character looked down upon these days in, in 2022 because it's too dramatic for for this particular era and of course the way they executed it was not great you know because you're you're in bombay you're off the shore and you're sort of taking a yacht there's no way nobody's seen that and you can get away with it the logistics were problematic i guess that's what bugged people but i don't have a problem with the i didn't have a problem with what happened like i in fact thought it very it very organically went into uh uh, what the film was about like i had a problem with how it was executed but uh it for me it it fit in like I did not look at the film as one particular primary kind of film which is why I guess whatever direction it went in felt like a regular relationship you know because even relationships go in so many directions uh, and they can turn toxic overnight they can turn uh, you know murderous overnight the only difference is this this was set in a in the world of uh, in a particular world where there were uh, where there was a lot more at stake for because if you look at it If you look at Geraya from the perspective of one protagonist, it makes sense. Uh, The death makes sense. If you look at it from the perspective of the viewer, uh, it may not make as much sense. But I always like to put myself in the shoes of the director or the characters in the film. So, uh, yeah, so no, it wasn't jarring and it should have been, it was a deal breaker for a lot of people and, you know, I understand why. Got it. You
0: know, you mentioned organic which was sort of my next question. So we, you know, talk about how characters, uh, you know, often or the screenplay behaves organically. But uh, should they be like? Is it okay that if they not behave organically? You know, as you mentioned, they could do anything. So again, how does it? How do you evaluate that organicity? How important is the organicity for the screenplay or the character?
1: Yeah, again, it's, I feel like it's subject to, you know, the kind of story you're trying to mm-hmm. tell, the kind of experience you're trying to give the viewer. Um, you know, organic. when I say organic, is it could also be, you know, genres changing every 10 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. But how they change and whether it makes sense uh, in a more cumulative, uh, from a more cumulative point of view, when you're done with the film, was it too jarring that, uh, that it didn't feel organic or did did it feel like it was trying too hard for me the trying too hard really stands out when I see a screenplay that does not work for me I feel like it's trying to take a viewer in a certain direction it's trying to be over smart or it's trying to underplay things too much that is when I when I feel like when a screenplay gets too conscious of what it's doing is when uh, you know it when mm-hmm. I sort of point out that the writing sort of fails in a particular aspect of filmmaking but you know, not being organic is also a way of being organic, or a way of being a uh, way uh, of being a different way of being a screenplay. Because uh, there is no way a Christopher Nolan film is organic. Like uh, none of like every 10 minutes, the screenplay is trying to take you in a different direction and trying to present like new concepts to you in very different ways. Um, and there are there is so much exposition going on at the same time, right? Most for a lot of people that is a deal breaker. That is not organic because the filmmaker is trying to explain, uh, uh, you know, his filmmaking to you while at the same time trying to tell a story. Uh, but there are <clears throat> there are always sort of things that uh, sort of just uh, string them together in a way. Like you know, he uh, filmmaker like him gets criticized for not being intimate enough, not being personal enough. And I guess that really came to the fore when in, in his latest film, Tenet, because the personal angle was lacking in that film compared to, say, his previous films like Interstellar and Dunkirk. And uh, I guess for me, uh, the Christopher Nolan screenplay or, uh, you know, <clears throat> a screenplay like a sci-fi screenplay in general tends to be so innovative and so... Uh, so sort of imaginative and so you know path breaking in their own way that they get carried away with the kind of uh the, that sometimes they get carried away with you know the excitement of introducing a new world to the viewers and they forget to really find a relatable sort of peg in their screenplay and that happens and that's fine with me i don't call that not being organic i just call that sort of overreaching sometimes um, but you know screenplays in general i feel like as i said earlier authenticity uh, is not something i look for in terms of the texture of the world it's trying to explore uh, and it's the same with i guess organic because uh, as i said there's so many different uh, interpretations of that word and i find myself sometimes writing that word uh, when for example i'm describing um, when i'm describing a film like you know Say, uh, Kapoor and Sons, or uh, um, you know, or or a relationship drama. That's when you tend to use certain terms as a crutch to say that uh, the film just sort of flowed and you went along with it, and it just felt organic. That uh, that an argument sort of uh, morphed into something more serious or something less serious within the next moment, uh, and that is a different kind of writing. And it's just just because it's truer to life doesn't make it you know better. Uh, doesn't mm-hmm. make it a good kind of writing, but uh, from the from the viewpoint that you are looking at it, uh, and from your perspective, it should feel organic.
0: Got it. Do you like tropes, and do you have any of your favorite tropes, like manic pixie dream girl, boy meets girl, anything? Personal favorite.
1: I mean, yeah, like I don't mind tropes at all. Like we've grown up on tropes, and that's how we identify with films as well. Uh, I. I'm like yeah sure I you know now that you mention it uh, I was like like a lot of people I was very taken by the manic pixie trope you know in the last fifteen years or so the way be, they've been doing it I remember uh, for me the one screenplay I used to study quite a bit when I was uh, in that filmmaking course was five hundred days of summer uh, because that was the one of the first manic pixie manic mm-hmm. pixie urban films uh, and for me the. Way the screenplay was written was like just it just blew my mind. It was an art form on its own, and the the trans the translation from the screenplay to the screen was pitch perfect. So I used to keep reading that screenplay many times, and I used to keep thinking that this is the way to write a screenplay. Of course, I was wrong later. There are many ways to write a screenplay, but for me, one of my favorite sort of reading material back then was a Manic Pixie screenplay, which was Five Hundred Days of Summer. I'm uh, I'm also a big fan of the you know, entire man-child thing that, you know, obviously, very obviously that Ranbir Kapoor be, uh, became sort of very synonymous with that Imtiaz Ali tried for a, a couple of films, um, uh, you know, I, and so, you know, I don't think tropes are a bad thing. When when tropes actually uh, are used as a crutch to sort of get away, to bite time within a film, that is a problem, you know, mm-hmm. like when, you, when you're throwing twists for the heck of it or when you're using certain tropes, uh, to say entertain the audience while you're trying to make a larger message that could be a problem but you know in, in general I feel like every kind of filmmaking is a trope you know it doesn't come from an original space what you're trying to do is translate a, an early uh, an early sort of language of filmmaking into something more modern so everything is derivative everything comes from somewhere because it started on its own 100 110 years ago so uh so everything you do after that is just a different version of trying to say the same thing or trying to make the same thing or trying to design the same thing so i feel like you know just like filmmaking even writing is full of those tropes i get particularly excited when those tropes are sort of presented to you in a different way or in a fresher way and and for me uh, that is uh, th- that's also a different kind of skill to do like because there are so many things that have been said there's nothing new left to be said anymore because of the amount of stories that have been told so i love horror films that try to you know go uh, try to sort of transcend its genre and become like more uh, human dramas i love the uh, you know i love films like Geraya that don't really uh, you know that don't really go by one like you would call the killing of a character trope or you call it that it becomes a noir drama at some point but I love films like that that you know keep you guessing and then at the same time after watching it you're like okay they had tropes but I really uh, was not really distracted by it. But I'm actually keen to know if you have any like good examples of like the kind of tropes you really like.
0: Um, you know I also said I love tropes. <laughs> we have all yes. grown up with tropes but as you said you know when it's done differently it just makes you remember them a little bit more. So mm. I like, again, the usual... Uh, I remember, you know, that's a, one film I really liked in the last few years was Humti Sharma Ki Dulanya. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, um, in that film, you know, they were doing the same thing, but it was uh, Alia Bhatt's character, you know, who does a lot of these things. Like, in the end, she raises her arms. Like, she's becoming a Shah And The whole film yeah. was based on DDLJ. So it's still a romantic, uh, like, you know, the usual tropes and references. But they did it different. There was Manipi angle in it as well. So Mm -hmm. that was like, I still remember it because, you know, although like it was not like a blockbuster or that sort of film, but I still remember it now because, you know, when you ask like, okay, yeah, that was a film that was done differently. And the other tropes like the rains and all, one thing I don't like some of the tropes, you know, is like the usual, which I think you would also agree, the whole angle of... um, being spectacles as a mm-hmm. nerdy person, or you know, like smoking as a sign yeah. of empowerment, these are just boring, yeah. they just yeah. don't meet the standards. But if it is done nicely, like Manic Pixie Dream Girl, I'll still take it today, yeah. or you know, that Zoya Akhtar trope, sometimes of like find your own calling in life. If it's done well, uh, it's still okay. Uh, I, I take it there.
1: Yeah, like the physical tropes are uh, the physical tropes can be a little jarring at times. Like you said, the glasses thing, like ye jawani was. Like right. I get it. Like you yeah. know, you don't need to throw it in our faces. And the smoking thing, I just noticed in like my last week, where Raima sends characters more or less an antagonist. But I thought they did something very interesting with, uh, you know, your empowerment, basically smoking, uh, depicting empowerment or depicting antagonism for that matter. And I like. Uh, stories or directors that try to turn around our perception of what we see on screen so i guess you're right about you know those slightly lazy uh, tropes that you know uh, come around once in a while and remind you okay this is i mean we are in 2022 we need to get done with it but uh, but as far as storytelling tropes are concerned i don't think i've ever, ever like i love the way sara did tropes right mm. like they really right. uh, i mean that's how you really take tropes and throw them in the faces of those who are responsible for those tropes, like which is Bollywood filmmaking as well. Like the first half and second half, first half is, uh, you know, it was something else altogether in the second half. So that is the intelligent way to use tropes. I think Jun did a very good job, even though it didn't work for me entirely. I I think Manjule in general has a very good idea of, he's very aware to the filmmaking world around him. And I think he uses filmmaking tropes very well in most of his movies.
0: Did you like Badhai screenplay?
1: Wow, <laughs> oh, very good question. Um, so, I thought um, Badhai Do was so. See, there were tropes in that. Okay. The small town trope is annoying to me. I will admit it. Like it's become annoying. Just like the Punjabi, North Indian, Delhi comedy thing became annoying at one point. The small town thing is annoying. It's an easy thing to get away with because I wrote that in the last paragraph of my review as well in Badrado, saying that, you know, it's too easy to show, um, say, minorities. When I say minorities, whether sexual or religious or uh, or gender, or anything like in, in its most literal form, it's very easy to show them by using a small town trope because there are ignorant people. Uh, according to a lot of in when urban people make films, uh, you use that small mindedness of small towns very easily and very lazily. And I find that a cop out in most points because like I admire films that are sort of set in a particular environment and use intelligent characters or intelligent sort of or very worldly wise people to bring across certain tropes or to to make sense you know like i don't like it when villages and small towns are sort of used as a crutch to explain something like homosexuality or explain something like that is unfamiliar to the masses uh, and to, to people they want to sort of handhold a lot of people so they were like okay let's take a slightly idiotic characters who will be enlightened by the end of the film so, you know, on a screenplay level, Badai for me, was nothing new. Like, it was it was using the same environment that we've seen being used, you know, since Bareli Ki Barfi days and whatnot. Um, and it was using an easy way out. But when I thought about it later, like, when I still think about the film, I guess it's one of the rare instances where it does use that trope uh, in an effective way. Because, you know, the filmmaking for me stood out more than the writing in that film. The, of course, you know, we've seen these two actors make their mistakes over the years and all. They've they've been sort of typecast after a while. But for me, there were moments in the film that really transcended the writing. Uh, I felt like it could have been a very average film if, say, a lesser director had made the film or with someone with no feel of the material had made the film. But a lot of moments stand out for me from that film because of the way the film was made. I really like the writing on a broader sense, like you're basically... Telling a story that begins from the end, most of the time, you're telling a story where the characters are sort of they don't trust in the environment so much that they already try to uh, lead a certain kind of secretive life without any end game, without any plan. What was their plan to live forever like that? Sure, we've seen marriages of convenience all our lives in cities as well, but I just found it too easy that his family was so conservative and her family. Was in that particular small town, and they had to be conditioned to understand the transformation, or to understand that you know uh, there are different ways and liberal ways of looking at certain ways of living. So yeah, the screenplay I had a problem with, but you know I do also understand that it's one of the rare films that uh, may have sort of done it slightly better than say Ayushman Kurana kind of films have done it. Like I even like. Uh, Jada, Saudhan, quite a bit but i just felt like badaydo uh, felt like um, it was i it just felt like it was aware of what it was doing it was aware of the shortcuts it was taking but it still committed to them
0: right, right. Uh, yeah the reason i asked is because for the first one hour or so i just didn't like the spell. i mean okay i was like what is new here, except this whole homosexuality angle, but which we've seen it before, like Shumanga yeah. Zada Sagwa. But, you know, when that whole Shiva Chadda thing and that thing comes in, then, okay, I started to, like, okay, enjoy it a little yeah. bit more. But the first hour and a half, I was like, I've seen this film, you know, and why was there so much praise about this film? But mm. by the end of it, I got a little bit of a yes, let. Like, okay, yeah, it's different. And then that education thing, Like the father came around and those sort of things. So that made me feel okay, yes, it's okay. (laughs) It's nice. So that's how I was just wondering. I'll ask you this question because the Hmm. screenplay wise, it wasn't working for me as well initially. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, you know, I might have asked this before, but I'll still ask again this. Hmm. Uh, You know, in war, there was this whole angle of. this uh ho- sort of homosexual angle uh, between the two characters but then i read this interview where uh, siddharth he mentioned that you know they didn't even intend it but i'm just wondering like so many people saw it yeah so is it then okay to you know have our own interpretation even though this again it comes down to authorial uh, directorial or authorial intent mm.
1: uh,
0: and are you comfortable with it having your own interpretation so anything you can add here. yeah I mean, not I, a question but something
1: here uh, yeah actually even I read that later and I'm like okay that makes sense because you know it's been a while since Siddhartha Anand's made a good film and I don't think out of every I don't think you know war was as self-aware as a lot of people give it credit for right, right? Like, let's be honest like we all derived our own interpretations from it because we enjoyed the film and I think because most of us didn't find it enough to enjoy just a regular action entertainer that was executed properly. It was a fairly dumb film in that sense. And it used tropes of the 80s and 90s. Like, you know, we saw Nicolas Cage do it like 30 years ago. So it used certain tropes and sort of recycled them and just did it in in a manner that was good to watch. And I think that wasn't enough for a lot of us. So we looked for maybe deeper meaning in that film, like the entire homoeroticism angle between uh, Hrithik Roshan and Tiger Shop, Of course, we found a meta angle to it because, you know, they are, Tiger Shove is technically a successor as an action hero to Hrithik Roshan. And, and the I felt like, of course, maybe the director did not intend it, but I feel like most films are subject to personal interpretation. That's the beauty of looking at movies. That's the beauty of reviewing movies as well. You will take, what you want from it depending on who you are and how you've been brought up Uh, and sometimes the directors will maybe realize that subconsciously they've been doing things without knowing it and that is good film analysis that's good critiquing that's good discourse in general where people take something out of a film and the director's like oh shit maybe I've done that without really realizing it in my last two or three films or maybe I was doing that on set and I thought you know it just it, it just slipped my mind so uh, I feel like film criticism also is a lot of about how uh, you can maybe help the filmmakers discover what he or she meant to do or what he or she was doing without really realizing it. They're, because a lot of artists have subconscious worlds and subconscious mm-hmm. minds. and they, And filmmaking is such a long process that they don't really keep track of what they were doing at a particular specific point of time. And if you can point that out and suddenly it may occur to them that, oh, you know, uh, maybe you're right you know maybe I do have like daddy issues and that's why it reflects in my screenplay mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't I really didn't realize it that's that's the beauty of art that's a lot of that happens with painting as well uh, it, it happens with a, a lot of other forms of art as well so I'm totally fine with you know us making those interpretations and if you look at it and it becomes it makes your experience richer while watching the film that's all the more cooler because I was just re-watching war a couple of weeks ago just to see how it's aged in my head also. Because I enjoyed it watching on the big screen. I didn't watch it after that. Uh, I, I noticed the homo- homoeroticism angle when rithik Roshan's introduction happens. Like mm-hmm. when, you know, that how is he looking. Sort of, yeah, when, when Ashutosh Rana and Tiger Shroff both are looking and there's this wind that blows in their faces... There's no way that wasn't intentional. Like, it was intentional, but maybe it was supposed to be a spoof on the hero Ka entry and the filmmakers were just not sort of uh, just not aware of the fact that there was, this might be interpreted in a, in a better way, if anything, as a sort of homoeroticism thing between anyways because whenever there's a two-hero film since the 90s, there's always been that angle that nobody talks about because it's taboo uh, and because a lot of people are not willing to see it. But uh, you know a lot of the great films have that angle to them whether the directors intend it or not or whether the writing intends it or not and I feel that made our experience of war all the more meta
0: right I mean there's also the scene where uh, that detective she says "I'm getting married to him and then. He, yeah. he he says get in line you know get in line li- something I forgot the exact I mean, scene but that's... again like you know anybody not see it <laughs> that these things yeah. especially with them you know how the industry is so macho but they're putting some things like this so obviously like a lot of people will notice it so I was I mean, surprised so. by that interview that he said he didn't notice it <laughs>
1: I think he's just playing mind games after a while. Because right. the film was so successful. He can say anything. In yeah, the yeah. There's no way that get in line statement. Like it's First of all, it's, it's such a rare thing. You have this alpha masculine right. uh, action star, Tiger Shroff, whose entire fan base are boys and teenagers and men. And like the next Salman Khan generation, basically. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have him say something like that and risk a tag of being this, you know, this sort of almost bisexual hero, which is a massive thing to do in a film like that. But I, I'm very glad they got away with it because it it sort of people, that wink that they made to a lot of people who got it, I, I guess the people who got it are people like us who look for deeper meaning in every mm-hmm. film. And the, the mass audiences just enjoyed the film for what it was, like a very nice masala, brain entertainer.
0: Okay. Now you touched upon this. My next question earlier, but so would you say like you know uh, this whole wave of Anubhav Sinha, he's done Thappad, Article Fifteen, and you know coming up with maybe Anek. He has this message-based films. So um, uh, you you touched upon this earlier, but again like
1: hmm. is
0: it do you like these films then uh, a lot because you know as uh, you. I'm repeating myself. We already mentioned that you know they tell
1: you how to think. But anything yeah. else you can add here on message? So paper? as it, so as it turns out, yeah, that's a good example of a filmmaker. Like it's it, because you know as it turns out, while watching these films, I really like them. Like I enjoy the way the film is made, the way uh, the screenplay sort of pans out, the way the performances sort of meld into the writing. I enjoy them like they are sophisticated social message dramas and we don't get a lot of sophisticated social message dramas in this country, especially, you know, since people like Akshay Kumar have taken over that entire monopolize that entire genre. So to see, so I guess a lot of our reaction to Anubhav film, uh, Sinar's second innings, his recent filmography, uh, social message uh, over that he's gotten into is very relative because we are comparing it to the kind of social message dramas bollywood usually churns out and mm-hmm. in comparison to those his films like tapped article 15 uh, mulk and all they seem uh, they seem far more well done or far more sort of uh, self aware and well executed compared to them but if you think about those films in isolation which is difficult to do because you know you exist in a certain industry if you think about those films in isolation they have their problems you know like something like article 15 later i realized was had a caste problem uh, something uh, you know something like Thapad, sometimes there i had a feeling that the film was sort of succumbing to the very issues that it was trying to trying to explore uh, about domestic you know violence and about uh, about sort of womanhood in general about the way wives think uh, I felt like a lot of it was in your face, uh, and I have a, I don't have a problem, but I, I am suspicious of filmmakers who suddenly pivot from the initial parts of their career to, uh, to monopolize a certain genre. You know, like for example, a social message genre is supposed to be honest. It's supposed to come from a place of honesty. Like you know, when Anurag Kashyap, for example, might make an anti-establishment film, it's an extension of his personality. He's not putting it on. He's not doing it for the sake of, you know, filmmaking or for the sake of uh, standing for something in Bollywood. He's doing it because he is frustrated with, you know, the, how the government operates or how India is today. But when someone like Anubhav Sinha, who's sort of made very different films in the noughts, uh, like 15 or 20 years ago, and then suddenly finds his calling, because Mulk, a film like Mulk really did well, Uh, and was noticed by critics as well, Um, I tend to be suspicious of that, because then there's a certain element of tokenism in the kind of films you're trying to tell. Then you're trying to explore every social message, like it's a package, like it's a project, you know, cast in one film, uh, you know, religion in one film, uh, domestic domestic dynamics in one film, um, and now, you know, whatever Anik deals with. So... It feels like it's too sanitized. Then you're, you're, as a filmmaker, you're ticking off boxes, right? And then it doesn't come entirely from a place of honesty. Of course, there's always film, filmmaking is a commercial exercise. But, uh, but you know, it's not very different from the other side. Then, like, you, there are two sides of it. Like, there are then, uh, there are f- filmmakers like Vivek Agnihotri who are dealing with, like, uh, You know, that entirely polar opposite Mm -hmm. sort of side of what Anubhav Sinha stands for. And if you hear Anubhav Sinha in his interviews, it just feels like um, at times that, you know, he is making a film uh, to appeal to a certain kind of demographic like us, like the more liberal... Uh, minded viewers and you have that feeling when you watch his interviews or when you watch his films or re-watch his films and when you're making just films to appeal to a certain kind of demographic I don't think that's entirely honesty that's not coming from a space of curiosity then so you know but ironically his films are very well made so there's not much you can judge you can't judge a filmmaker then you know you can't judge that oh he's dishonest he's honest he's doing it only to appeal to us so you know it can't be a good film you have to look at the film for what it is. And for me, those films worked in the moment, even though maybe later in life, I might write about Anubhav Sinha as a filmmaker who say, sort of pandered to a particular section of India, who pandered to a particular uh, ideology. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm always conflicted about these things. And it's interesting that whenever I'm reviewing their films, I learn a little more about this conflict. There is no simple answer to it. Yeah. But I guess uh, if for example, he make, his next film is not as good as his previous film, then you might find real problems with his ideology. Then you might find that it's superficial. So, you know, till then, what you can do is just uh, judge the film for what it is.
0: Right, right. And I ask this because, you know, I have a friend, uh, like she's, I speak to her a lot about just films and all. So she she never liked Thappar. And she's very, uh, you know, um, like she likes these kind of films but she just did like Thapar, and i was surprised you know given the whole, whole critical acclaim of it but at the same point you know she mentioned the problems with it and also with article 15 you know how ayushman saves that girl yeah, in the end again yeah. it's like that but then yeah. i read another you know it, i was so conflicted by again this Thapar, like uh, how much uh, how much we are willing to castigate Anubhav sinha because for his imperfect feminism than you know uh, him, like, uh, you know, how how sexy some of the other films are. So at yeah. least he's trying, at least he's making yeah. an effort. So again, like, you know, I also didn't have an easy answer. You enjoy his films when you're watching, but yes, there are not, I yeah. think, fully works. Like, even in that Tupper film, like, How the Domestic help, she is not given the same yeah. agency to, you know, leave her husband. She's yeah. back, and she's just shown dancing in the end. While uh, Amu, she's like, Amu, I think, she's like, you know, or divorced. So why not the other one? Uh, Mm. Again, like, I can understand there are social causes there. But yeah, it's a very, not no simple answer there.
1: Yeah, as I said, you know, it's relative. Like, it's Mm. it's because the standards are pretty low in this particular genre that we tend to, say, forgive a lot of imperfections in, say, Anubhav Sinha's filmmaking. And uh, I guess if you look at it, like, your friend might have looked at uh, Thappad in Isolation, your perspective might be entirely different which is entirely understandable in fact i envy people who can do that mm-hmm. too
0: okay all right i think we spoke a lot about screenplay i have a few more questions on screenplay but i think uh, i'll park that for next time uh then, you know like my next topic is like we you didn't about third wheels about 4 years yeah. ago that's a whole series and one character just stood out for me I mean he, like of course there are lots of favorites like Subodh was there from yeah. the Jata Hai Nitin from Rocket Singh then uh, there was Faruk Shik from Ye Jawani and yeah. two actually stood out for me one was like Arjun from Udaan that young brother uh, and yeah. then uh, Goga Kapoor <laughs> from uh, Kabhi Haan Kabhi Na yeah. I never thought of him that way so uh, I'd just like to see, like, uh, has there been any new additions in the last four years that you'd like to add, and are there any of your favorites from that list? Of course, there's 50 lists, but any particular favorites that you stand out for you? I
1: mean, as as for your question over the last few years, I'm pretty sure that list can be another 50 now, because, you know, as as we know, the ensemble cost thing has really blown up. Like, it's the casting industry has become so good in in Hindi cinema that Almost every second role can be a third wheel now in their own right. And they define films most of the time. So I'm sure if I go through a list mm-hmm. of my reviews, I'll come up with like 20 right now. But uh, but you get the idea because it's right. just, I, I end up writing about a lot of these characters in the reviews as well. You know, a lot of these uh, these little cameos that people, like not exactly cameos, but you know, these recurring sort of characters in films. And I, I've enjoyed like uh, quite a few in the last few years. Um, I, I, as for the 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 fifty memory characters that I did, it was a very it was a very rewarding exercise because it was like once a week for one year. That's like fifty basically, um, and a lot of them I never really came up with as a I didn't have a main list like when I started. I didn't have okay these are the fifty I'm going to write about.
0: Mm.
1: I used to just think about it on a Friday or a Saturday and come up with it by a Monday most of the time because I used to dip into my own memory of Hindi cinema in the 90s or in the 2000s and I think I started with Goga Kapoor uh, in Kabya Kabina and I think that still is my favorite, personal favorite because uh, it's a character very synonymous with my childhood and it, it was my father's favorite character in that film and it's because of my father that I ended up loving Kabiya Kabina uh, throughout my life it's because uh, I used to write like a lot of very commercial mainstream. Like I used to like the Bazigars and the Dars and the DDLJs D- and whatnot like everyone else. But my father pointed out how good Kabir Kabina was uh, to me. And he kept re-watching it in front of me so that I, uh, I learned to enjoy the film. And I ended up really loving that film. And it was his favorite character. And for me, that character was really everything uh, that was you know, so great about that film, that very wry humour that we don't get to see anymore uh, these days. And Kundan Shah was known for stuff like that. So for me, just writing about that character was meant a lot to me. It was revisiting my own childhood and sort of uh, really thinking of the character as an adult now as compared to thinking of of them as kids when you watch them. And for me, a lot of these characters were rewarding because of that, because I get to sort of, write about them as you know a 30 something sort of film critic right now uh, and i i tend to make sense of them as how what they mean in in terms of a structure of a film or how what kind of impact they had on the viewer's mind as an adult viewer now and even arjun i really you know funny you mentioned that because arjun uh, the character really i think the article the piece that i enjoyed writing the most in that was the arjun one In Mm -hmm. Odan, because you know, I've written about Odan. A lot of us have written about Odan in so many different ways. This was the first time I was getting to write it from the perspective of uh, the only infant in the film. Uh, And the good part about writing about characters is you can you can treat them as protagonists in your narrative. You know, as compared to the real protagonists in the narrative. So you start looking at the world of the film from their point of view, even though they have a very fleeting presence in the film. And for me, that is great because it then demonstrates how good the writers were in creating, say, mental backstories of most of these characters. They weren't just put there for the heck of it, right? So uh, I really enjoyed writing. I thought it was one of my better articles, the Arjun one, because I looked at Udan from a different way. And I remember sharing that and feeling very satisfied, very rarely satisfied with a piece that I put out there. It was an, It was an essay that could have stood out on its own. And I really uh, and you know no matter how much you write about Udan, it's never enough. So uh, for me, just getting a different way to write about it was uh, was very nice. And another character I really enjoyed writing about, uh, I think was personally was uh, the two Sunday father, right. Uh, right. you know Shyam Subramaniam, who just recently passed away. And uh, uh, for me, someone writing about someone like Arjun on one end. And someone like, you know, Shef Subramaniam's Appa in Tuve Mera who has dementia and, you know, whose daughter is sort of struggling to uh, to take care of him. And he still is the unwitting center of that film because he brings everyone together. Uh, I thought it was a very, like, he was one of my last characters. Goga Kapoor was my first. I think he was my 49th or 50th. Uh, memorable character I wrote about, and I found it very emotional writing about him because for me, I look at old people very differently now because I am going into an age where caregiving is a big deal now, and my parents are getting older. I think a lot of us are dealing with the same problem, uh, same conflict now. So I really found it very emotional writing about that particular character in 2M Era Sunday, and it it brought me closer to the future, uh, just as Goga Kapoor brought me closer to the past. Mm. Uh, for so for me, that was a very nice way to sort of end that series and begin that series. It it was very sort of uh, it felt very complete in that sense. And you know, come to think of it, it it was uh, it was one of my early sort of gigs with Film Companion, and I really uh, sort of enjoyed doing it. And I still have a lot of people talk about or discuss that with me even though I've forgotten most of the mm-hmm. people I've written about. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to repeat that. Say, as you said, you know, it'll be very interesting to repeat that, say, when one decade gets over after I finish mm-hmm. that, 2016 to 2026 or something. Because the way Hindi cinema or the way web shows alone have sort of taken over the entire landscape, uh, would be very interesting to see what kind of ca- characters pop up in the last couple of years.
0: Right, right. got it. <clears throat> Uh, so you know this Indiana Milagi to Bara in that who would you call a supporting actor? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: out of those three, are you asking? Yes. Because out yes. of those three, yeah. Uh, um, my reason for this question
0: is how do we define a supporting actor? Because we don't.
1: We don't. Yeah. Uh, because you see award functions making the same mistake, right. right? They put actors in supporting actors because they can't put both actors in the same category and it's really silly like it's the same thing as defining a musical comedy from a drama what is there to define it really uh, I, f- I find most comedies more like hard hitting than you know dramas we watch so so it's the same thing with supporting characters as well you know like for me none of them were supporting characters all three were protagonists in their own right all yeah. of th- all three of them had very compelling backstories especially for our actors you know, like uh, especially and, and you know, all three of them came from some, some different backgrounds and that is the beauty of like say childhood friendships and college friendships, right? You go different ways, but that doesn't make one a lesser person than the other. You know, one is writing ad jingles and maybe did not really sell out or did not become, he's, he's earning probably half of what Ritik Roshan does in that film. That doesn't make him a lesser friend or a lesser character. So I like these multi, like, you know, these three like it's the same with Dil Chahta even though amir khan was the biggest star in that film he was the uh, he was the hero in that film as a lot of people may look at it but i still felt like all three were very very integral to dil chahta narrative because without some without khan's character the other two would never have uh, have a middle person would never have sort of reconciled as well without akshay khannas we would not have known what it is to be older than your years uh, and, you know, there's always a bigger, the, the tricky part is, there's always a bigger star than, say, compared right. to the other stars in a film. Like, Hrithik Roshan was the bigger actor in the three people, so you tend to mentally look at him as the protagonist. But the trick as a screenplay writer is to make all three of them appear equal despite the status of one of the actors being higher than the others. And I think that is good writing. That's what, say, Zoya mm-hmm. managed. that's what uh, Farhana managed with Dil um, that's what I think a lot of multi-star films have a problem with because they tend to give they tend to subconsciously favor the bigger star or the bigger actor. Um, but that, yeah that is if you think about it all the three characters were uh, were very well shaped and all even though the film didn't work for me as much as a lot of other you know mm-hmm. like buddy buddy road dramas have worked uh, I still really consider, uh, that film to be a very sort of very very well written film because a lot of us being men have sort of gone through it in different ways. Maybe not as privileged as going to Spain on a road trip, but we've gone through it. On you know like we are going through it as we speak. So uh, so yeah, the, I don't think supporting actors can be defined on a technical right. or a literal <clears throat> level.
0: Right, right. But would you call Deepika a supporting actor in Tamasha? Right, Tara.
1: Uh, no, I, I would not call her a supporting actor in that film uh, because from a very simple definition point of view, Tamasha for me is a love story as well. Amongst being a coming-of-age drama uh, for the male protagonist, it is also a love story that helps him sort of come to terms with who he is and who he should be. Uh, so for me, when a film is a love story that cannot mean that one partner is lesser than the other. I know that the main problem, the main criticism of the film is that Tara was just a crutch for our uh, angsty male hero to come to terms with his own reality. Um, I didn't look at the film like that. I still don't look at it like that. I still feel this is the reality in a lot of relationships, whether you like it or not. As it turned out, sure, it was a male uh, partner uh, sort of, realizing his own problems thanks to falling in love with someone who <clears throat> pointed out to him but uh, i think love makes most people uh, realize things they didn't know about themselves and it makes most people grow and evolve like uh, like never before and that can be and of course the gender it can work both ways it works with uh, it works with women as well uh, i think a lot of them uh, sort of uh, you know come to terms with the same uh, people they were and people they should be because of falling in love or because of their partners, you know, whether whatever kind of relationship you're in. So I think, yeah, Tamasha for me was that is one of the primary things I took away from that. film. You know, what a relationship, what a romantic relationship can do to you and how it changes you and how it's supposed to uh, sort of help you. All of my relationships over the years have made me a better person and that is what uh, a healthy kind of love tends to do, and that is what romantic uh, relationships are supposed to do eventually. Like even marriages do that. So, uh, so for me, no, Deepika Tara uh, was not uh, was not the supporting character in the film, even though she had lesser screen time. She was always present in every frame of that film after they came back from Corsica, uh, whether she was physically there or not. And that's what Ranbir Kapoor's performance made very clear. She was always there. So, so yeah.
0: That's a great point. Uh, Okay, my last question, somebody already mentioned, I was planning to ask a question. So, you know, I read your obituary about uh, Shiv Subramaniam. One thing I'll just say, yours was the only piece that pronounced his name correctly. Uh, I mean, spelled his name correctly. (laughs) I know, And I went and checked the ending credits of Tu Hai Mera Sunday, and then also in Parinda, it's actually Subra, why, you know, that thing, uh, yeah. S-U-B-R. yeah, all other articles, I never saw that. So I just want to call that out to whosoever is listening, you know, how important sometimes these things are, at least they're important. If I look at them, you know, if you giving an opportunity to somebody, it's, at least you spell that name correctly. Uh, so that so I, I, just, uh, I
1: Yeah, was, I mean, I have a funny like a short uh, story behind that because uh, I was obviously, as I mentioned in the obituary, as rare position to be yeah. living in the same building. Um, if I wasn't, I would have made the same mistake. Right. But that morning, I got uh, the creative of his prayer meeting in the WhatsApp group, in a society WhatsApp group, which mentioned his name, obviously and I saw his surname then and I've seen it before I won't lie like I've been confused like is it a personal choice is it, it right. just one it of can those vary. Right. it can vary like all surnames can be spelled differently um, so when I saw it in that particular WhatsApp creative uh, you know which said that you know that the cremation will take place so here that's when I realized that this is the name I'm going to use obviously I came from a place of privilege here because I was sort of fortunate enough to be here. Um, but yeah, the, it is one of the important things. And right. I'm glad you pointed it out because when I was writing uh, that piece, first of all, it was very difficult to write. And secondly, it was, uh, whenever I was writing the surname, that same thing came to my mind. I was like, uh, are, are we sure that this is his actual surname? Because even in Tuve Mira Sunday, I wasn't exactly sure back then. Mm-hmm. And and Subramaniam is a surname that can be it's spelled exactly. Yeah at least two or three different ways. It's so common and it can be spelt in two different ways. Uh, and this is a spelling I had never seen before. So I'm very glad that, uh, that you know, I did notice a couple of obituaries that got it right as well. So mm-hmm. I was very happy. And that's a very important thing. You can't have your name spelled wrong in the last piece that's written about you. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that. Yeah. out.
0: Yeah, no, because I was wondering because, you know, it's a... Uh... And it's not for, like, you know, like Mukherjee is written so differently. Like, uh, and it's a numeric, uh, numerologist choice also. Like Rani Mukherjee, it's not like, it's Mukherjee, K-E-R. But it's okay. But, you know, when I was looking at this, like, I just noticed in your piece, at least, like, it was the only, it just stood out. Because whenever you're reading these things, everybody was writing this. Then I went and checked. And that it's actually, even in Parinda, at the time of Parinda, you know, I went oh, and saw wow. just okay. before this, he's in the first credit along with yeah. Hidu yeah. Chopra. And then there also it's why. So I was yeah. like, okay, it's not a like recent change. It's been always yeah. there. So it was just stood out for me. Okay. Uh, besides that, uh, you wrote very nicely about him. I'll just ask,
1: why did you not speak to him? I don't know. I have, I'm. I'm just a shy person. Like I i don't know how to approach people i admire uh, or people i've grown up watching for that matter you know like it's i see if i if i see shahrukh khan downstairs tomorrow i will still not go up and speak like in my head i want to keep a distance so that i can mm-hmm. maybe keep admiring them i am that kind of person that do not uh, get to ever know your heroes um, i've admired chip sobranium for the longest time especially you know because Sure, he wrote this film and all, but even as an actor, uh, I've admired him for a very long time. And I always knew he lived here. Um, I was in the lift as I wrote with him a couple mm-hmm. of times, at least a couple of times. I I always used to sort of run into him every month, at least once. But I don't know. I'm just that person who would never really start a conversation with someone. I don't know where to start. I right. What will I tell him? Like, sir, you know, you I I get very awkward. Um I wish I had, but at the same time, I'm glad I didn't as well because you know, uh, then I remember him a certain way too. So,
0: yeah, got it. And your tweet was very nice about him, uh, about the father and the son playing. And the son. Yeah, it's very nice, very touching. Okay, uh, I think we spoke a lot today, Rahul. We hopefully will continue this in the next podcast. I'll continue these some of the questions yes. that I have remaining, and probably we'll discuss about more so uh thanks everybody for listening once again hope you enjoyed it
1: and we'll be back for part two soon hopefully